Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and um, today we're going to be talking about the hard work of people who are trying to turn the city of Gary around and uh, who have been there forever and really love the city and really, want, you know, believe that people there deserve to live healthy and full lives. Uh, so I'm really excited today to be joined with by Carolyn McCrady, who is an officer in an organization, uh, GARD is the acronym, Gary Advocates for Responsible Development. And um, and you have been doing outstanding work uh, with others too that I know and who have been around for a long time doing great work. Um, I worked with Doreen Carey many years ago and, mm -hmm. um, and you know, terrific. She's just a terrific advocate for the environment. So um, uh, today and specifically, we want to talk about a couple of the new uh, industries that are trying to come into Gary. Um, uh, they all seem very opaque and their processes seem opaque. So I'm really um, interested to hear about those. So Carolyn, first tell us more about Gary. You've been there forever. You're a retired teacher from Gary Schools. And so you've been around for a long time. Tell us what what it is you love about Gary and why you're doing this work. Okay, well, I actually came to Gary in 1974 because there was a, a new mayor here. His name was Richard Gordon Hatcher. And I came here because I wanted to work for him. And ultimately I was able to do that. I worked in the law department as an investigator. And then I worked in the press office as his assistant press secretary. So I, I got a very full view of what, an administration that has the heart of the people, uh, in you know, in its in its actions and in its policies, and so um, I learned a lot about the city while I was there. I was very active in campaigns and and got started in other campaigns, um, consumer advocacy with the Citizens Action Coalition. Oh. I was part of the anti-war movement, um, and and so. Uh, many, many, many challenges here in the city. But unfortunately, uh, given our our status as a as an environmental justice community, which of course we are because of over 100 years of industrial pollution that we have been uh, enduring uh, in our water, our air, and our soil, which has resulted in a lesser quality of life because people have become sick because of it, namely uh, um, diseases uh, of the, the lungs. Um, you know, so many of my students had asthma. All my stepchildren had asthma. You know, a lot of people have cancer of the lungs and other kinds of cancers. So we are we are in a city that, that right now, the Guardian, uh, who did a, a big survey of you know, impacted communities uh, says that we are the fourth, uh, our region is the fourth most polluted uh, region in the country. And of course, Gary is at the heart of that. And so we are an environmental justice community. And even with that, there has never been a sustainable environmental justice movement uh, that, has, that has functioned uh, over time to try to curb the excesses of polluting industries and or to stop them. And so, um, you know, it's this is very, the, the emergence of GARD and what it says and what it's doing is extremely important because it has, we have at our, at our core 
in our core beliefs that, that we must be sustainable, that Gary must come into a sustainable future, and that the idea of, of fossil fuels running our lives forever is not, it, it, it's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable because it, 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 is, it creates all kinds of problems for people, health outcomes, and it makes us less attractive as a community for people to come to. So, um, but what do I love about Gary? Oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You know, we are the, we are the heart of the region. We have amazing history here, union history, political history. The people are resilient. This is a predominantly African-American community with a, with a core of progressive whites, you know, who have aligned themselves uh, in different times and space with, with uh, progressive ideas and with the building of unions, uh, with the building of people's organizations, and of course, politically, uh, with with progressive mayors like Mayor Hatcher, and right now with the progressive candidate um, Eddie Melton, who uh, hopefully will be elected as our new mayor tomorrow. So you know, there's a lot to love in Gary. That I taught for 20 years in in the Gary system, high school English and journalism, and they were some of the most wonderful days of my life. And so many of my students now. I see who are doing amazing things. You know, they are doctors and lawyers and they're, they're you know, running uh, 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 offices in the unions and they just are, do, they're real estate brokers. They're, they're just, their midwives are doing everything. And most of my Facebook friends are, <laughs> are my former students. And that's how I keep up with many of them. But I, I do see them. I saw a number of them uh, yesterday at a political rally with Senator Melton. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> we produce uh, young people who need to have a reason to come back to Gary and live and work. And that is the that is what we are working for. And that's what all people who want to see Gary uh, returned as a leader of our of our uh, of our region uh, with all of the all of the uh, full description of what a leader is in a community in the region. And uh, we are not scary, Gary. You know, I know a lot of white people like to come here and portray Gary as just a series of abandoned buildings. That is absolutely not true. We are a city of beautiful neighborhoods and beautiful people and resilient people, people, spiritual people, uh, people who, who just keep on, trying to do what is important and what is necessary, you know, for everyone. So, I mean, I could go on and on, but you could, and, we are you here know, to Gary has really suffered things. some huge setbacks over the years, you know, while it was, you know, a thriving, um, you know, city back in the sixties, um, you know, fifties and sixties. And, and even before that, um, you know, the um, union led a workers movement and the mills uh, there, the steel mills there in Gary, um, yeah. really made a lot of, you know, uh, great, um, wonderful, profitable uh, businesses and, and the city was doing great. Um, and then when, you know, when a lot of those jobs left, um, Gary was left with um, a lot of real estate um, and about half of the population that they well. Let me say, Deb, that the jobs left in the 80s. That was what that's when the big layoffs started. 
We had layoffs in a hospital closed, the bud plant, which was an auto plant, closed 6,000 workers, lost their jobs. And of course, in the mills, because Black people were the first to be, I mean, the last to be hired, uh, they were the first to be fired. So, but what preceded that was the uh, white flight movement Mm -hmm. uh, engineered by banks and real estate companies after Richard Gordon Hatch's election. And a new town was created to uh, to accept all these white people who were, uh, you know, bamboozled into thinking they needed the city, that they needed to leave the city. And they made a lot of profit off of whites selling their homes for less, blacks buying the same homes for more. And they just they just turned neighborhoods over, you know, uh, one after another. Then they redlined the entire city. Uh, you couldn't get a mortgage if you wanted to you know, have a, a, a new business. You couldn't get a mortgage if you wanted to build a house. Um, and then uh, they disinvested. So that was that was the that was the bank's disinvestment. But then, how are we going to bring new businesses here? Uh, you know, if if they can't get uh, in, any money, you know, to finance their operations. And then finally, when Merrillville was created, uh, you know, they built them all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then the businesses who were our anchors downtown left and went out to South Lake Mall. So it was pretty complete. You know, the destruction yeah. was complete. And then, uh, you know, so we had all these abandoned homes that, you know, whites left and the businesses that were empty. And so uh, Richard Gordon Hatcher had a job on his hands to try to deal with all the chaos that this created first a disinvestment and then the creation of Merrillville. And then in the 80s, the downturn in the economy and the election of Ronald Reagan, who immediately cut money, uh, aid to cities. And then we had, as I said before, uh, all the layoffs in the mills, the closing of the bud plant, the closing of St. Mary's Hospital. And we took so many hits that other communities did not. And so we're still the heart of the region. We're still yeah. Mother Gary, but we, you know, we have a job on our hands. And, and I just want to say that, you know, if and when Senator Melton is elected, he is the first candidate since Mayor Hatcher that has a plan and understands how to implement that plan. And that's why people are so excited about him because it's, it's not just talk. It's not just as this, the mayor that's announcing, reimagining Gary. No, you, you can't reimagine without a plan. You have to have, if you want to reimagine, say, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. And this is what his campaign is about. What is it we're going to do and how are we going to do it? And he's already uh, passed a bipartisan bill in the state that would allow us to basically rebuild our downtown, which, you know, we've never had this kind of investment from the state of Indiana ever uh, in our city. And this is just absolutely historic. And then the possibility, the strong possibility of being able to build a, um, a, a new convention center. Um, over where the uh, casino is located at this point off of 8094. So there's a lot to look forward to. And so, but we we have to get a, a, a grip on what industry is trying to do uh, and what the state of Indiana at the same time is trying to saddle us with. Great. So yeah. wonderful. That is such a great 
story of history um, of Gary. That's really wonderful. But um, so now, um, you know, I want to turn to that very subject, you know, what industries are coming in. So um, uh, you mentioned in 2015, um, there was, um, no, I forgot the name of Mawa. Is that, am I saying it right? Maya. Maya, that's Maya. it, right, right. 20, Maya. 20, and so, yeah. so, and this is kind of a new wave of industries that um, are claiming to be sustainable in some sort of, you know, alternate definition of sustainable. Um, and so, so there's Maya and then now there's um, Fulcrum. So, so tell us about Maya, tell us what it is they, you know, wanted to do and where they are in that process. And then, and then we'll also, we need to talk about Fulcrum. That's the really most urgent um, issue on our plate. Right. Yeah. Is it, you know, the thing about Maya is that, you know, when they came to the city in 2016, they said that they wanted to start a recycling facility on land that was designated a floodplain that was controlled by the Little Calumet Basin Development Commission. And uh, they so they said they wanted to do, you know, cardboard and things like, you know, things that sound really, you know, benign. And so the zoning gave them permission and they even they even put together an ordinance that said that you know they have permission to do this well somehow all of that cardboard stuff that recycling stuff turned into solid waste they started out by saying they were going to bring seven trucks a day in and out and now it's up to based on the tonnage of garbage they say they want to bring in now it's up to 300 a day uh, and putting it on in an area that's already uh, polluted to the extent that they, that area is in the 80th percentile, according to EPA. And I can read, I can read to you uh, a letter that, um, that Mr. Mooney, who was um, at the uh, Region 5 EPA uh, division that he sent to IDEM which is the uh, Indiana Department of Environmental Management, and they decide who gets an air permit and who doesn't. And so he sent them this letter. He sent, sent it to Jenny Acker, who's the chief of the permits branch of IDEM. And basically he said, the EPA has determined the proposed location of the facility raises potential environmental justice concerns. Uh, the values for 10 of the 12 environmental justice indexes for these tracks in these neighborhoods around which the facility is sited exceed the 80th percentile. So, you know, it's very close to 8094. And as we know that, you know, we have emissions and we have particulates that are, you know, raised from the, the travel of trucks and cars. And so basically he said, you know, if you do this, you know, you're courting danger. I mean, those are my words, but um, he, he, what he was saying was, you know, you really need to, to look at this very seriously. He said he, they, uh, they issued a new source. Um, I'm sorry. Um, they understand that the facility has not yet been, uh, not, not yet been built, but they recommend that IDEM review the construction permit, including emissions which IDEM did not do because they don't have any emissions 
to even talk about. <laughs> you know, I mean, how can you how can you scrutinize something that hasn't happened? And so, and then they also said they recommend that item conduct an environmental justice analysis, which they could do right from the start, just just like the EPA has done. They understand the the area is already saturated, and now you want to add more to it because you're going to be going for an air permit. So in any case, you know, uh, we don't quite understand, and I don't know if they quite understand where it is they're going, but this this whole thing with Maya is about two people from East Chicago uh, getting access to land that is, uh, you know, controlled by the uh, Little Cal Commission and, and being able to do something with it you know that keeps changing even the area that that the ordinance said they wanted to locate on is different than the area now that they say they want to be on in addition to which they are right across from a school in addition to that the road that they they will be traveling down is built on a floodplain and there are ditches on each side and so how it could sustain that level of truck traffic you know over um over time, I would say over a week's time uh, is is just, you know, you, you just see that that the road would probably collapse. Uh, so the whole we're not sure exactly where it is they're going with this. The whole idea seems very, very untenable. However, IDEM keeps giving them uh, permits. Now, they gave them their original operating permit. And then they didn't do anything with it. Okay, well, when you don't do anything with it for five years, they're not supposed to renew the operating permit. But in fact, they did that. So we objected to that. And they were they held a hearing and, you know, 30 people got up and spoke, including the mayor of the city of Gary, the current mayor, that we did not want this in our city and all kinds of a range of people spoke, people in the neighborhood, people, you know, who are environmentalists, people who are into water quality. And uh, it was as if uh, no one had said anything. You know, they did their job, they held a hearing, and that was it. So uh, then I then dismissed uh, both both the city's petition and, and uh, Doreen's petition on behalf of GARD dismissed it just out of hand. And so the city uh, filed an appeal with the district court on that decision. We did not on Maya because at that time we didn't have um, an attorney to do that. And let me say that Guard began as an ad hoc group and we are slowly building into something more than uh, an, an ad hoc group. But we put up a great fight you know, uh, so the status of Maya now is that they are fully permitted and are could start construction anytime. Well, the only thing that holds them up is is the appeal in the district court by the city of Gary. Uh, you know, and so uh, the, recently the city council has said that they are going to introduce a resolution against uh, Maya um, and uh, on the 16th of this month. And so we'll see what happens with that. We are asking, uh, we're asking the city council to do uh, a few things in regard to Maya, other than just take a strong stand um, against uh, them continuing. But if they have to start over, 
which would be optimum. If they have to start over in the process, then then I would say we have we have a um, a good chance of stopping them from from being there. Um, the other thing is, you know, they tried to sell. Uh, they tried to transfer their lease to another company from Germany called Calabria. This was about a year ago. And Calabria came uh, to a little Cal meeting. And uh, the, from what I understand, the commissioners were not impressed <laughs> with them <laughs> because I think some of them supported uh, what Maya was doing. They wanted Maya to stay and they weren't sure of how they felt about this German company. Uh, but in any case, if they're so committed to wanting to bring in, you know, 24,000 tons of garbage uh, every day and process it and turn it into what they call refuse devised fuel, then why are they trying to lease you know, the land that they hold the lease on to another company? So it could be a matter of speculation that they're involved in. I don't know. And that's just my personal opinion. I well, and I, I have to take an issue, you know, with this, you know, these proposed ideas like turning, um, you know, what recycled recyclables into fuel. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you know, you and I both are quite aware of, you know, things that are emerging um, industries and um, in the alternative energy uh, arena. And, you know, this is such a, a such a, you know, sketchy um, approach. It is <laughs> that, sketchy. And it's just not been proven. And, uh, and, you know, they think they can come into communities like Gary and say, we bring X number of jobs. Uh, so, so, so you really, you know, should have us come in and, uh, and, you know, and, and the town city officials want to be the, the person, the, the, the administration that brings jobs that helps, you know, people get jobs, but, um, but it's just, it's just so sketchy and um and their processes are so opaque and um and and really as you said i mean none of that really overcomes the fact that you are already uh, gary the air in gary is already saturated with all yes. kinds of pollutants and mm -hmm. uh introducing you know hundreds of more you know diesel operated trucks um right. you know that emit the pm 2.5 you know particulate matter that is just most dangerous uh, to people because it's small enough that gets all the way into the tiniest parts of your lungs um and and can cause such damage um and of course it just follows the air as you know as you can see um and so um you know bringing all that in you know just it just it doesn't make sense it just doesn't make sense but um but yeah item doesn't seem to have any qualms about doing that you know and, and all the environmental work i've done over the years I, you know i will say that you know northwest indiana in general has always kind of been the stepchild of you know of item and um they never really had um a whole lot of interest in protecting um this area and and that was before we called it uh sacrifice zones you know <laughs> but uh but that's become a, a really appropriate a really appropriate term in in, in my view so yes. okay so maya is the status of maya is that we're waiting on this um city uh, appeal um, mm -hmm. of the permit uh, to find out what happens next so tell us now about the newest um uh, player <laughs> in gary um fulcrum um, where do they come from? What do they do? And what are they, what's going to happen to Gary if they get there? Ooh, yeah. Well, uh, they're, they're, they're an outfit out of California. Um, they're, uh, 
I think that that they are getting on the the, uh, the the train of sustainable fuels because you know it's being financed by states and and government you know and the Biden administration and people Trump you know they were they were all advocates for uh, this kind of um, um, sustainable fuel that could be produced from plastic and garbage and all the kinds of things that we want to get rid of. You know, instead of throwing it in the ocean, you know, we just uh, turn it into fuel. But we got to be careful when we use the word sustainable there, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. They're saying sustainable because they're saying, oh, it's sustainable because we're, you know, we're taking garbage and turning it into something useful. Um, But that in itself does not make does not make it sustainable. (laughs) Well, and also no one not on. Not in this country, and no one internationally has been able to do that on any kind of prolonged basis. There, there have been some companies that have started up and stopped, started up and stopped. No one has been able to do it, particularly because of of the fact that when you're talking about creating a feedstock, and that's that's when they take the garbage and they sort it and they put the plastic as Fulcrum is is proposing, when they put that in there and then they dry it out and then they run it through this biorefinery that they want to put on our lake that is where where they um, basically turn it into a gas, you know, and then they sell that to the airlines. It's called Syngas. You you have to have a consistent... a consistent um, flow of garbage. It has to be the same all the time. Otherwise, the emissions will change every single time you have a, a new load of garbage. And we all know your garbage changes every, you know, every week and so does mine. I have different things in there. And so, and that's true of all garbage. And so the, the flow of garbage, uh, the, what the, the source of what they say they want to do is not consistent, so then you cannot get consistent emission uh, levels out of it. Okay, and so that that is a huge problem, and um, they have been unable to do that. As as far as we know, they have not said they've ever produced syngas in any kind of amount. We have a researcher working with us who said that she has scoured the trade journals and and all of the other the applicable uh, sources that would be able to report, you know, what they've sold and it's not there. It's non-existent. And so we know that they're struggling trying to uh, trying to keep their emissions in the minor category, which means that uh, if they go into a major category, which means they'll be polluting more, they're going to have to, uh, you know, employ a lot more uh, environmental equipment to control the emissions. So uh, I think I think that they're Can having... I ask a question? Like, yes. so, I mean, I'm just, I'm so like, you know, intrigued by this kind of this process that yeah. seems kind of sketchy, as I said. So, so they take the garbage and then, and then they do what to, how do they distill it? Are they, are they treating it with something? They're not, are they burning it? Are they changing it into like when you say turning it into gas? Do you mean a, a gaseous um, material, um, and then capturing that gas and distilling it? Is that it? I seem to remember some kind of discussion of that talk, you know, some years ago. But is that what they're doing here? And they're taking all garbage, and that's right. Or is it just recyclable stuff? 
No, all garbage, which, you know, is problematic in itself because all garbage gets real gloppy. And how, how do you separate out, you know, what you, what you want to have in there to create a consistent feedstock? I don't know how, but they've got a, they've got a big plant in Reno, outside of Reno, Nevada, in Sierra, Nevada, and it's very beautiful. And, you know, if you go on their website, you can see pictures of it and they've got conveyor belts, they've got the garbage coming in and they're doing all this stuff, but they still haven't been able to do what they need to do, which is produce sin fuel. What they do is they sort, they have a sorting process uh, and and they they take out what they want uh, for their, to, to, um, to put together their, what they call their feedstock. And that would be 30% plastic and other and other uh, combustibles. But they have to have the plastic in there. Otherwise, they will not be able to turn it into a gas because only plastic gets hot enough that it can be turned into a gas. So they 30% plastic, this is what they say, and all this other stuff. So they compress it and then they turn it into something as their their uh, PR guy says, it looks like confetti. When he came to the Gary City Council, he just threw it up in the air. Oh, it looks like, you know, we'll confetti. use it at celebrations. A, a celebration, like a Mardi Gras, you know, yeah. celebration. Yeah, so it does look like confetti. <laughs> it actually kind of looks like insulation. Ugh. Anyway, uh, that's what it is. And then they truck that in. Now, that would be done outside of Gary because the city council said, no, you're not doing that in the city. So they said, okay, we'll do it outside the city. They still don't have a place to do it yet. And then they would be trucking it in every day with uh, 120 trucks a day in and a day 120 out. So it's 240 trucks in and out of the city every day, every day. Uh, And so then they put it into a, a closed system of gasification. And that is a, uh, it's called a biorefinery. And it's a series of pipes that the uh, feedstock would be uh, fed into. And then it is ignited. The pipes are ignited by gas, natural gas, that heats up the uh, feedstock and turns it into magically syngas. But they have been unable to do that at the Reno plant that we know of. Now, if they've done it, they're not saying they've done it. Uh, they've done something else, but they have not created syngas. And what syngas is, this gas will go to the airline uh, industry, M- much in the same way as when we go and put gas in our car. Part of it is ten percent is ethanol, and that's supposed to, you know, decrease the um, the fossil fuel footprint of all okay. these cars. Well, this is the same i same thing where. Uh, they they have they will blend the syn gas with regular uh, fuel and then sell it to to the airlines as a sustainable fuel that will that will presumably uh, cut down the um, the emissions uh, off of off of uh, jet airplanes and make make life in the skies more sustainable and better. But you know as you know. What probably will happen is that the airlines will use that as a reason to fly even more, uh, you know, uh, schedules <laughs> because now they're now they're polluting less, presumably. But our problem with it is that, okay, 
the airlines get to sound as if they are creating a greener, more sustainable world. In the meantime, what you're doing to us is creating more problems because of the pollution that you are creating with the trucks and with the emissions uh, that that you will be uh, putting into our air here, in addition to the danger that such a uh, a plant that is highly, highly uh, problematic since it, you know, it just really hasn't been done before uh, in any kind of way. Um, and and, and you're, so you're kind of tampering with the idea of uh, polluting or doing something very terrible to the water source for millions of people if there should be, you know, a, an explosion or something like that. And we know that there have been two explosions. Yeah, or a fire, yeah two fires in Indiana recently with with uh, people who are dealing with plastic, pure plastic. Now, they're not saying they're going to be doing pure plastic, but they have enough plastic there that it, it is a matter of, of concern. So we don't uh, we don't buy what they're saying at all. And um, again, it's interesting because the mayor that is supporting Fulcrum uh, he didn't campaign on Fulcrum at all. Didn't campaign on the jobs or the revenue or anything. Did not mention Fulcrum in his whole, in any of his his uh, literature. So I guess everyone is kind of waiting to see what they do because when they came to the city council several years ago, oh yeah, we'll be up and running by 2023. Well, here we are, and nothing has happened. Uh, they still haven't gotten on the horse <laughs> to take them out of Reno. And we also know that they're looking for other operations to begin in the UK, in Louisiana, in Texas, uh, because as they state in their um, investor advisements on the CEC, uh, SEC filings, uh, where they have to tell investors, you know, what the potential problems could be with with this industry that they they need to have a number of plants operating at the same time otherwise because this fuel is so uh, so uh, expensive to produce that they can't do it with just one or two plants they have to have a number of plants uh, operating at the same time so the idea that they were going to give us money uh, they said eight to ten million a year it that's not really huge anyway plus it's in a tiff zone which means that all the money would stay in that area of uh, the tax dollars and also they can't say that to us that they can say that they can they can guarantee that we would get that level of money because they they don't they don't have these other plants operating and so you know the whole the whole thing is like a house of cards but we still have to play this thing out and challenge them at every level, which we have been doing. That is, and it's hard and it's amazing work that you're doing. And it, you know, it takes a long time. All this takes a long time. I think, so when we talk about these kinds of industries, you know, I think one basic principle of, uh, you know, of chemistry and it should be um, remembered that, you know, things don't go away when you change their form. <laughs> 
They just change form. When you burn something, it doesn't go away. It just changes it into a gas or a vapor, if you know, depending on how much you heat it. And, and so this notion that, you know, we can make all this garbage go away because we're going to run it through a series of pipes and, and burn, burn it, you know, even at a high temperature, you know, you will still create toxic emissions. That's what, you know, I mean, the, the case down in Richmond, where it was, again, it was a recycling uh, storage facility. And, um, and they had just ground up um, plastic that was, I guess, headed to some other recycling processing um, industry. Um, but it caught fire. It had, truck happened to be next to it, a truck trailer that caught fire, caught the entire place on fire. And that, the, the, the fumes, the toxic fumes, because of that plastic burning are so unbelievably dangerous. I mean, you know, thousands of people had to be evacuated. Who knows where that will land? Um, I mean, and, and unfortunately that case too, they found there was asbestos in the, um, in the mix, um, you know, that is just so frighteningly dangerous. You know, it takes one asbestos fiber uh, in your lungs to cause an asbestos related disease. And, um, you know, so it's just, it is just shocking um, what these plastic, um, you know, recycling and grinding and storage facilities are allowed to do. The one in, in Richmond, Indiana uh, had, you know, had gotten all kinds of warnings that it was a fire hazard, uh, the way it was set up, nothing was done to, you know, to clean it up or make it safe. Um, and now it's just a complete disaster. And of course, um, in that case too, unfortunately, uh, when they went to try to put the fire out, all of that water that they sprayed on it went right mm -hmm. into the storm sewers. Yeah. So, you know, they didn't do anything to, you know, you can put, um, you know, the dams out there to stop it and absorb it. They didn't do that. Um, so now they're facing a whole nother, you know, safe water crisis in that mm -hmm. area. So, so this is, you know, kind of what, you know, we're asking for um, up here, you know, when you're working with these plastics. And of course, there's a case in East Palestine as well, um, which was, um, uh, it was uh, toxic uh, chemicals used to make plastic. That's what uh, exploded and burned and created this whole other health hazard in Ohio. So, mm -hmm. um you know, and poor Ohio, because they happen to be, uh, you know, downwind of the Richmond fire as well. So, Absolutely. Cincinnati so, and Dayton were, were on red alert when it happened. And don't forget about Ashley, Indiana, outside of Fort Wayne, that, um, you know, they were burning pure plastics there. They were given the go ahead by the state. The state gave them $185 million in tax-exempt bonds to get started this company. They had an agreement that they would start another plant in Macon, Georgia, which eventually collapsed because Macon, Georgia said, no, we don't want you here uh, because you haven't you haven't ever produced a product and you had a big fire. And so why would we want you here? So, uh, you know, and that's good that Macon, Georgia, at least had the good sense to say, we we're not going to fall for you know your your propaganda that you're going to create jobs and revenue and and the people be damned the people's well-being be damned so yes and we and we just don't you know for instance fulcrum got 500 million dollars in tax exempt bonds from the indiana finance authority the same the same state agency that gave brightmark the money and so uh you know and brightmark it, was the company in ashley right and Ashley, yes. And so, you know, Fulcrum, uh, that, that, 
that gave energy to them because uh, they had been on the stock market. They were able to sell about $400 million worth of stock, mostly the airlines, uh, to to get their Reno plant up and running to finance that. But after that, they got out of the stock market and then, hmm, what do we do? So somehow they were able to figure out that Indiana, because it is so, uh, you know, compliant with business and, and looking the other way, especially to polluting businesses, uh, you know, they were able to come here and get $500 million from this IFA fund in tax-exempt bonds. Uh, and then that put them on a whole different footing. Now, oh, now we have the money to do this. So let's do this. So, but we're still waiting for them to do something. Now, I um, there's a couple things that I, I want your listeners to know. Um, and I'm going to put my glasses back on. So I would. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they filed, you know, they, they, um, they issued uh, their, uh, I mean, they, they, they wrote their air permit and sent it to IDEM and IDEM said, sure, go ahead. So uh, we looked at it and we had, we had our experts look at it. And uh, this is what we found that they never define the composition of the feedstock. They said they referred to it 62 times, but they never say exactly what the materials would make would be to make up the 1,650 tons of garbage that it that it would use per day at the plant. So this is an unknowable, which means that going to our second point. Did I can you say it again? Is it 1,600 tons yes, of yes, garbage a day. a day? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is going to be a huge plant. Yeah. yeah, on some some fifty acres on our lakefront. Yes, mm. and then so th- that takes us to the second part of this, which is a fulcrum emission calculation. Emissions calculations are unsupported by any test results or corroborating data. Fulcrum's application failed to show the basis for its emissions calculations. How do you do that? How do you how do you you know put a, a, an air permit together saying this is what we're but we're going to emit without any kind of documentation. Instead, it offered emissions projections based on incomplete or unsupported guarantees from a set of potential vendors mm. <laughs> from other companies without indicating which of those manufacturers, if any, it plans to use. Now, they've said this all along. Their PR guy, Mr. Van Ewig, has told me over and over in person and on the phone, when I ask about a hazard analysis, will you conduct a hazard analysis so that we know the level of safety that you can guarantee to our citizens? No, we will not. Because we, our plants are based on the construction of them. And the component parts have proprietary uh, agreements with the manufacturers of those component parts that they will not disclose the outcome of of their component parts. So therefore, you know, this is why they put they put unsupported guarantees from a set of potential vendors. In other words, they're going back to the company and saying, if you use this piece uh, to construct this part to construct your your process, this is what the emission level will be. But then how how can they say that because what is what is the company using as the basis for calculating what it says the emissions would be? The basis for it is the 
product that you're putting into it, which is the feedstock, which is the garbage. And since the garbage is inconsistent, everything about all of this is doesn't, it has no basis. So that so that's what we are are in court with about right now. We're 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 arguing. Over you have it. filed an appeal uh, against the yes. permit that uh, yes. item issued, and yes. um and I understand ELPC is um is helping you with that terrific organization. Yes. yes. Um, so um and so uh and so your claim um to appeal that permit is that the uh that they have not provided uh the necessary supporting data to make right. the claims. I see. Yeah. Yes. Good. They're Good. just saying this is what we're this is what we're telling you. This is what the manufacturers, the companies that we are working with, are telling us. No, it's supposed to come out of their Reno plant. In addition to which, the Reno plant is like one third the size of what they're projecting in Gary. Oh. So it, you know, how can it be applicable? Whatever they do there, but I guess at some level it could be. But the the real problem is is the what is the composition of the feedstock, which they just can't get to be consistent for what reason? Because yeah. garbage is not consistent. Every every truck has a different load in it. And and, and that does like, really feed into the whole problem of the process and you know and yeah. what that process will actually be, which makes yeah. perfect sense. I mean I will I just want to add though that you know the you know the veil of proprietary information um is you know, that is such a, I mean, a dangerous, we have to come, we have to become a society that does not allow, you know, proprietary claims to mm -hmm. supersede the health risks to right. humans. Uh, you know, that's how PFAS got into the system. Um, it was, you know, mm -hmm. the PFAS were not on the TOSCA on the Toxic Sub Substance Control Act list because the, you know, the construction of it was proprietary. And um, and it was not known. And now we will all suffer with these, you know, forever chemicals that are in all of our bodies now. Um, so likewise, you know, when someone comes along with this proprietary process and says, you know, well, we don't have to tell you. Um, right. How do we say, well, OK, yeah, just go ahead and do it no matter the health risk. So um, the other exactly. thing I want to mention, too, is the EPA's uh -huh. um, proposal to have more health impact assessments. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'd like to talk about that. I'd like to talk about that because they have a new draft national strategy to um, that, that that deals with um, plastic pollution to prevent plastic pollution. And I'm just going to say that uh, this is what it says in their draft policy, that activities that convert non-hazardous solid waste to fuels or fuel substitutes, i.e. plastics to fuel, or for energy production to be, quote, recycling activities. In making this decision, the EPA notes that it is aware of the potential health risks from such processes known as chemical recycling. And that is what uh, Fulcrum proposes, chemical recycling. And that it will require initial testing for approval <laughs> and ongoing testing to ensure, quote, there is no variability in the plastic waste stream. Now, I don't see how uh, Fulcrum can guarantee that there's no variability in the plastic waste stream. 
Right. I don't know how you do that. But anyway, so according to Doreen, the EPA is saying that gasification processes like the one Phil Fulcrum proposes for Gary are not green recycling, as they claim, but may in fact adversely impact the environment, the communities in which they're located. Fulcrum says that approximately 30% of their feedstock will be plastic. All plastics contain toxic chemicals like dioxin, and these chemicals will be emitted in some way during their process. Fulcrum can now expect to face additional scrutiny on this issue. And, and I would say that, that uh, you know, our, our press release were being uh, cautious in, in using the words additional scrutiny because, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is big. This is really, really big saying you can't get away with greenwashing anymore. You're not green. You know, your, your process includes plastics and any process that includes plastic is going to be overseen. And, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, the EPA is responding to all the recent developments from Brightmark to Richmond to what's yeah. going on in Gary uh, in terms of plastics, but all over the country. Right. So uh, we were very glad to, to know that, that this proposal is being circulated in the EPA. Uh, I'm very glad when it gets out of draft form and becomes, you know, uh, enacted. But... Um, you know, the fact that there will be oversight and they will, what they sounds like they're saying is that, you know, you won't be allowed to do this unless you can prove the, um, that there's no variability in the plastic waste stream. And I don't know how they can do that. You know, well, unless and let's hope too. I mean, let's hope EPA does proceed too with um, yeah. requiring, just like they, you know, the NEPA, you know, requires environmental impact studies um, on all kinds of industries. I mean, road building, everything. Um, you know, the the new idea is to also require a health impact assessment um, yes. as part of, and frankly, as part of the NEPA process. So, mm -hmm. um, and so, let's hope that comes through. I mean, um, but I do want to address, you know, the notion that. Um, you know, I think our country wants to reward, you know, entrepreneurial initiatives um, that do try to address um, the problem of having all of these plastics laying around um, and to do something with them. Um, and so that leaves this kind of opportunity for people like this and, you know, these kinds of industries to get ahead of themselves and not really understand, um, you know, the impact of what they're doing. Um, and so, so tell us then, Carolyn, what yes. is the solution? What are we okay. going to do about plastic? Yeah, well, I, I think we're talking about two things. We're talking about uh, how do we build a sustainable uh, country? I'm not going to say world because I can't speak for the world, but how do we do that? And then what do we do about plastics, period? First of all, we have to stop making so many plastics, you know, right. single use, you know, we have to, the plastics industry, which is fueled literally by the fossil fuel industry, because you make plastics from, from oil, right? And so they are pushing this, this, this is fossil fuels in another form. And I'm, you know, I mean, they are, they are really, uh, they have huge lobbies, uh, you know, in Congress, and they have tons of money. And and the gas and and oil industries um, are 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 mighty, and I think the only way uh, to deal with them is is to have very very um, is is to move in a green way. That the Green New Deal, 
um, is is very important in terms of people understanding why we need to move in that direction. And that's going to take a while, obviously. Um, and the fossil fuel people are not just going to go away, but those industries ultimately have to be converted to industries that serve uh, the, the needs of people, the needs of communities, and not just make money for corporations. I don't know what the, you know, what, what the path is, but we have to have a sustainable direction to go and we have to convert what we're doing now and supporting also, you know, the subsidies that go to oil companies and cleaning up their spills and everything that has to go into looking at solar and wind and thermal and those kinds of industries that um, are important in terms of turning the corner. But I also want to say there are ways that like a city like Gary can become a more sustainable place and not have to give into uh, the idea that we'll, we'll just take anything. We can rebuild our city. <laughs> you know, we can, we can, we can rebuild homes. Um, you know, we can renovate, we can build homes, we can build affordable housing. We can build, uh, and we really need to have more medical facilities. We need a new school. You know, these are all sustainable uh, ways of changing a community's prospects because they have a ripple effect. When you build a school or a hospital, there are obviously jobs in the building right. and construction, but then that has a ripple effect because the people who work there continue to work there. And then people who, uh, who come there, you know, support it. And so it's, it's, it's a ripple effect and it's circular and it, and it builds the community. So we have to think more in terms of putting our money and our focus on sustainable projects. Urban farming is really, really, really important. Well, and in many communities, and, um, you know, Gary's a little um, different because they have the giant steel mills um, with a lot of employees, but in many communities, hospitals and or um, schools are the biggest employers. So yeah. they are very, you know, viable, you know, opportunities to create jobs in communities, good jobs, good paying jobs, good, you yes. know, uh, union jobs. And um, jobs that will, you know, grow communities, uh, you know, from the bottom up and the middle out, as Joe Biden likes to say. So yeah. I would like to say about plastics, though, it has always yeah. um, struck me, you know, we, over the years, you know, um, uh, I think it was Rachel Carson who famously said there's not been a pesticide um, introduced that hasn't been outlawed within 50 years. Um, and, and it was and it's, you know, if you kind of apply that to plastic, you know, why hasn't plastic been outlawed? Um, again, it's um, mostly because of the, you know, the fossil fuel industries who are, you know, uh, supporting legislators, um, and because in Indiana, we saw, you know, when local communities wanted to outlaw plastic grocery bags, the state uh, passed law saying, no, you can't do that. Um, and, uh, and the same goes for, uh, for outlawing locally other kind of one use plastics. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that is, you know, what needs to happen, we need to be able to have control of you know, the amount of plastics that are going into the waste stream. And mm -hmm. uh, and uh, our state legislature, of course, has uh, not been on board with that at all, has gone the opposite direction. But that's really where I think the fight should be, uh, is trying to keep those plastics out of the waste stream. So, um, so okay, so we have talked a long time, Carolyn, <laughs> and you have yeah. given us such a wealth of information. And I just, I, I'm so grateful for your coming on and, and giving us all this information. Um, and of course, 
you know, it really inspires a lot of hope for Gary. Um, you know, there's just, it's, it's a lot to overcome. What Gary has been through is just a lot and it's a lot to overcome. But, um, you know, but I really know that with people like you around and Doreen, my good friend Doreen, and and others, uh, you know, in guard and other great, you know, community members um, over there in Gary, yes. that there really is some hope. So. Um, oh, absolutely. Oh, we, we are the city of hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are. We are the mother of the region and will remain so. And and so you can't you can't get rid of us. <laughs> That's terrific. All right. Well, with that, we'll sign off and um, with that um, great, hopeful um, message at the end. So um, so thank you so much, Carolyn, for joining me. I hope, um, you know, we'll keep in touch and uh, yes. we'll bring updates as they come along. OK, Deb, thank you. Thank you.